Well, we can, um, so, so good. Uh, so glad to see you guys. Um, just want to build on what Francis said. I am encouraged as well um, to see everyone's faces now. And, uh, but even your names, if it was just your names, it would have been okay, but definitely encouraged. Um, and I'm grateful, grateful that um, you guys are committed to each other. I'm grateful that um, you guys want to love one another um, week in, week out. And also grateful for your patience, um, especially. Um, I know that it's hard to do even small group discussions through Zoom. Um, sometimes the internet's lagging. Um, sometimes there's miscommunication. You can't really hear that very clearly. Um, but you guys show an extra measure of patience um, during this time. And so very thankful uh, for you guys and your patience. Um, and uh, just to give the background, I, um, Francis asked a few of us um, if we'd be interested in, in teaching on a fruit of the spirit. And uh, I knew the one that I wanted to teach on, it was this one, patience, because I know that, yeah, there are a lot of times when I'm in patience. And uh, maybe it's the same for you. Maybe you can immediately think of times when um, you are not as patient as you could be. Uh, and so I just want to say at the beginning that um, I speak as someone who's dealing with impatience in my own heart. And I just want to grow with you, grow together with you. So uh, let me pray one more time and then uh, I'll start. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the spirit who dwells in us. And if it were not for the spirit whom you have sent and dwells in us, we would be left to our own power and our own ability uh, to, to live. But um, thank God that you've sent your spirit, the spirit of Christ who now dwells in us and he's bearing uh, his fruit in our lives. And so God, I pray that through this message and through um, discussion and through meditating afterwards, God, would you continue to grow that patience in us, not only as individuals, but, but patience uh, as, as beacon, um, as lighthouse. In your son's precious name, amen. All right. Beacon, how do you respond when somebody annoys you? You know, maybe somebody in the group talks too much or talks, you know, just way too much. Um, or on the other hand, you know, this person talks too little. Um, doesn't say anything at all. Um, and it's like pulling teeth. How do you respond when somebody hurts you? And it could have been with malicious intent, um, or maybe it was just without any kind of bad intent. It, it was maybe just the way it was said, um, a little bit too sarcastic, um, or just the wrong choice of words. Um, and, and maybe it was the timing of it. And they said something that was totally fine, uh, but it was right after you poured out your heart and you felt like they weren't really listening to you. They weren't meaning to hurt you, uh, but you were hurt. How do you respond? Are you patient? Are you slow to anger? Slow to get ticked off? Or are you quick to retaliate? Uh, quick to assume the person's motives and respond with verbal assault? Or you respond with coldness? Um, or you respond with, with, di with distance, withdrawing? because you just don't want to deal with it and uh, you don't want to love the person right now. Or maybe you do want to love the person um, and you do want to be patient. Uh, you just don't always know what patience looks like, uh, especially when you've been hurt and, and you think you, you have a good reason to be angry. So how do you bring that up? You know, should you bring it up? 
And I hope that this message will help help all of us keep growing in patience and showing patience. Um, because if we're not growing, um, if we're okay with being impatient in some areas of our lives and in some relationships, we're not just missing out on growth. Um, there's real sin that needs to be dealt with, confessed, and repented of. Um, and we are missing out on the joy of good, satisfying relationships where we can truly trust one another and help each other move toward Christ. So um, I don't know if you guys have the notes. Uh, is it in the chat? Okay, we're good. All right, so the sermon's broken up into two parts. Uh, first, we're going to define and understand patience. Second, we're going to um, try to cultivate and show patience. So first, what is patience? Defining and understanding it. If you remember not too long ago, Francis, uh, he preached a message on patience. This was on James chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. Um, a part of James 5, verse 7 says this, Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. So Francis gave us this definition on patience. It's um, on your notes. A restful and quiet heart in the face of uncomfortable delay. There's another definition. Um, this one's given by D.A. Carson. He's a, a New Testament scholar. And the, the context is uh, um, from 1 Corinthians 13, um, a well-known chapter on love. Um, and, and that chapter is basically love in the context of relationships. So Carson writes, love is patient. The word patience usually suggests not merely willingness to wait a long time or endurance of suffering without giving way, but endurance of injuries without retaliation. Endurance of injuries without retaliation. So I think these two definitions, um, the one that Francis gave and Carson gives, they highlight two important aspects of patience. So there's, there's a time element um, you notice it in Francis's definition, um, in the face of uncomfortable delay. Um, you're waiting for something to happen. And then secondly, there's a person element. You know, you get injured by someone um, and, you, and you don't retaliate against that person. Um, so to put it another way, like you're patient toward an event um, for something to happen. And secondly, you're patient toward a person. But I don't think this is a strict division, right? I, I think it's um, more helpful to think of it as a spectrum. You know, at one end of the spectrum, um, you're patiently waiting for something to happen. And on the other, you're, you're patient towards someone. Um, and it's probably never like 100% event-oriented or 100% person-oriented. Um, let me just give one example. Um, so let's say you're waiting in line outside of a grocery store, like Sprouts. Um, that's what Ruthann and I did not too long ago. Um, and it's COVID time, so you're waiting outside um, in the sun, maybe. Um, and it's, it's taking a little bit longer than you thought to be uh, let into the store. And so you're trying to be patient. Um, and you're, you're patient for something to happen, in this case, to be let into the store. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's partly dependent on a person, right? Like the guy who's working by the entrance, he's, he's the one setting the pace for how fast uh, customers can go in, and also probably dependent on the number of customers in the store. And so your patience is, is for something to happen, an event to be let in, um, but also affected by people. Okay, so um, I wanted to make this distinction uh, because 
tonight um, we're going to focus more on the person-oriented patients because I think in uh, Francis's sermon last time um, that was a, a lot. A lot of it was about waiting steadfastly until an event. Um, in that case, it was the coming of the Lord, um, and we're supposed to be waiting for that day. Um, and so, since he covered that, I'm going to be talking more about the way Carson describes patience and endurance of injuries without retaliation. And I believe the best way for us to understand and grow in this kind of patience towards people is to understand more of God's patience toward us, God's patience toward people. And you've heard the expression, you know, like father, like son, and that's probably true of you. You know, whether it's, whether it's your mom or dad, um, it could be the way your dad talks, uh, his mannerisms, his personality, his sense of humor, or, or maybe it's something super mundane, like uh, the way he sits on the couch. Um, it could be almost kind of eerie. Um, and maybe you've thought this before, like I did, like, you know, you did something and you think, oh man, like, I'm just like my dad. Um, and if we are children um, of our heavenly father, um, then we're going to be patient like he is. So I believe um, that the best way we can learn patience is by thinking deeply about the patience of God toward us. Not just a passing thought, but sustained meditation on God's patience toward us. So that's what I want to do for the first part of this message. So let me begin with uh, Exodus 34. Um, I, I invite you to turn in your Bibles um, to Exodus 34. Um, yeah, we'll start here. Um, chapter 34, verses 6 to 7, because this is a foundational text on who God reveals himself to be. And not just what he does, uh, but who he is in his very heart. And to set, set up the context, uh, Moses in chapter 33, he says, show me your glory. He's speaking to God, show me your glory. And God says, um, well, Moses, you can't see me uh, because no man can see me and live. Um, so I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock. I'm going to put my hand over you. And when my glory passes by, then I'll take my hand away and you can see my back. Um, and when the Lord passes by in his glory, it says that he proclaims his name. And that's what we read in verses six to seven. So I'll read it for us. The Lord passed before him, before Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. I'm I'd like you to notice the words um, in the middle in verse six, uh, slow to anger, slow to anger, because that's what patience is, slow to anger. And that phrase is literally in Hebrew, long of nostrils. Um, but the word for nostrils or, or nose also means anger, uh, because for the Hebrews, 
when you see a person get angry, it's expressed through the person's nose. You know, there's heavy breathing, the nose gets red and burns. Uh, so the phrase can also be translated long of anger. In other words, it takes long to get angry. Uh, and the King James Version actually uses the word long suffering. And I think that's a, it's a really good word that captures the essence of patience. Um, you suffer long before you express your anger. So this description of the Lord in Exodus 34 is very important to the Jews. And you can tell because it's repeated throughout the Old Testament. You find it in Numbers, the Psalms, the prophets like Joel and uh, Jonah. But God being slow to anger doesn't mean he doesn't get angry, right? I mean, we see him clearly get angry many times in scripture. Um, God says he will by no means clear the guilty. Um, that was in the verses that we just read. So we see him get angry toward his people, Israel, and those who are not his people. Um, as an example of um, his anger, um, in Nahum chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, let me just read these two verses. Um, the book of Nahum, um, the prophet Nahum is speaking to Nineveh. So this is not Israel. He says, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. And then in verse three, Nahum says, the Lord is slow to anger. Um, so in just a few verses, you know, within a span of a few verses, Nahum says God is both wrathful and slow to anger. At this point, I want to pose a question to you. Um, can we say, though, that God's natural disposition is mercy instead of wrath? And that's a question that I typed out in your notes. Is God's first inclination mercy instead of wrath? Um, and I believe that scripture attests to that. And I believe we have to understand it that way. Um, that's how God presents himself. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 12 to 13, um, the prophet Jeremiah is speaking, um, or actually, sorry, God is saying to Jeremiah, this is what I want you to say to Israel. It says this, return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God. So God could be angry forever toward faithless Israel. But he says, Israel, I am merciful. I am merciful. That's his very heart. He wants to show mercy. And that will happen if Israel just acknowledges their guilt and returns to the Lord. Um, so you might be wondering, you know, this is a message on patience. So why are we talking about mercy and wrath? So I want to ask again, Beacon, do you believe that God's natural disposition is mercy instead of wrath? Or do you think that God is more eager to show wrath than mercy? Because I believe understanding this rightly is essential to our understanding of patience. No, but not only patience, patience and anger. Um, we can't talk about growing in patience without also knowing 
how to express anger in the right way. And uh, I've been really helped by um, this book called Gentle and Lowly. Some of you might have read it already or you know, are reading it. Um, Dane Ortland, who's the author, he quotes Thomas Goodwin, um, who is a 17th century Puritan. And I, I have that quote um, in your notes, so you can take a look because it's kind of long. He says, in Lamentations 3, 33, um, when he speaks of punishing, God, God says, he does not from his heart, from his heart afflict nor grieve the children of men. But when he comes to speak of showing mercy, he says he does it with his whole heart and with his whole soul, as the expression is in Jeremiah 32, 41. And therefore, acts of justice are called his strange work and his strange act in Isaiah 28, verse 21. And uh, another, um, I guess, famous theologian, Jonathan Edwards, he, he says something similar. He says, judgment is his strange work. And I wonder if you've ever thought of it this way, um, that judgment is God's strange work and mercy is natural work. And to be honest, before I read this book, um, I've never thought about it in those terms. Um, I don't think I've had as clear of an understanding of this uh, until Ortland really kind of walked me through that, especially in, in, in those words. Um, and I, I think it's hard for us to grasp that God's natural disposition is mercy instead of wrath. I think part of the reason it's hard to understand is because throughout scripture and in particularly the Old Testament, I mean, you see so much of God's anger, right? I mean, both verbalized and expressed in judgment. But it makes sense because his anger corresponds to the overwhelming amount of sin and most of it on the part of Israel, but also you know, from other nations too. But, um, and, and this sin is not just any kind of sin. It's hard-hearted, unrepentant, persistent rebellion. Um, I mean, Israel was literally idolatrous, pursuing and worshiping other gods. But when you do see repentance and faithful obedience, I mean, you also see God's lavish mercy. Mercy just flows out of him. Judgment and wrath don't just flow out of God. You have to provoke him to anger. It takes work, uh, sin after sin after sin, until God finally expresses anger. But, but mercy, God is so eager to forgive. Uh, because mercy is his very heart. And he will patiently endure so that he could show mercy to the repentant. Um, Beacon, before you became a believer, um, before you were ever assured in your heart that the blood of Christ covers all your sins, what if the moment you sinned, God immediately executed the fullness of judgment on you? Because he would have been perfectly just and right if he did that. In your, in your unbelief, in your unrepentant state, you know, without the covering of the Lamb of God, um, he would have been right to judge you and me to eternal death. The, the very moment you sinned, the moment you disobeyed your parents, um, the moment you said no to your dad, he's telling you to do this, but you say, no, I won't do it. I won't listen to you. I'll ignore you and do my own thing. You know, the moment you lied to a parent about doing your homework, the moment you gossiped about a classmate who, just, who got on your nerves, the moment you slandered 
a friend behind her back. You know, the moment you indulged in porn, you know, the moment you cursed at a classmate because you were, you were just sick and tired of the guy, the moment you grumbled about a teacher because you just did not like her. Now, why didn't God just judge you as an unbeliever the very moment you sinned? It's because he's, he's patient. He's incredibly, unbelievably patient toward us. He's slow to anger and he's willing to wait because his heart, his very heart is to show mercy. You see his patience all throughout scripture, um, but you see it also in the very beginning. And you might've noticed this before. Um, in Genesis three, you know, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they ate from the tree that they were forbidden to eat from, you know, what did God do? Did he hunt them down like a wolf? Um, and did he immediately judge them? No, he doesn't do that. Uh, he didn't hunt them down like a wolf. He, he walked in the garden in the cool of the day as usual. And God is omniscient. He, he knows what happened, but he doesn't go pouncing after them. You know, what did, what did Adam and Eve do when they hear him walk? They hide from him. And what does God say? Um, Adam, I know where you are and I know what you did. Come out here and I will punish you. No, um, God, he, he calls out to the man, where are you? You know, God is patient. You know, he gives them time and opportunity to confess and repent. But how does the man respond? No confession, no repentance, but blame shifting. And God is slow to anger, and yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And so um, Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden. And a few chapters later, um, you see God's perfect patience and perfect anger again um, in the account of the flood, uh, Genesis 6. You know, the Lord sees so much evil on the earth. And uh, what does Peter say in 1 Peter 3.20? Peter's going back to the account of the flood. He says this, God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. So Peter specifically points out God's patience during that time. And actually in 2 Peter 2, 5, Peter calls Noah a herald of righteousness. King James Version says a preacher of righteousness. So when Noah was constructing the ark, um, he was heralding righteousness. And God was being patient with sinners in the world in that time. And, And God was giving them time and opportunity to repent. But they didn't. They did not repent. So God judged them with the flood. So there was an end, technically, to his patience. But you know what happens when thousands of years go by and people forget that the world was once destroyed by the waters of judgment? You have scoffers. um, And those who, according to 2 Peter 3, they say, where is the promise of his coming? You know, that's basically saying, you know, there's no day of judgment. Um, God said he's going to come and there's going to be a a day of judgment. Well, where is he? For these scoffers, um, there hasn't been judgment for so long that they feel free to question it. And down in verse 9 of 2 Peter 3, it says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, 
but is patient toward you, you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know why the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, hasn't come yet? Well, it's because he is patient towards sinners. And sometimes um, people say, you know, there's so much evil in this world. And if God is so good and so powerful, why doesn't he do anything about it? You can't mistake God's patience for indifference. God cares. I mean, he cares about the evil of the world and the evil in the unbeliever's heart. There will be perfect judgment. But in the meantime, God is showing his incredible patience towards sinners. Deacon, uh, what led you to repentance? You know, if you look back, why did you truly believe in Christ and you're now following him? Why didn't you just continue to live your life, indulge in your sinful desires, pursue your, your own goals and dreams apart from God? Wasn't it because you were drawn to God, to Christ, who is patient and merciful? You know, Paul says this in Romans 2, 4, um, speaking to those who judge others. Um, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? If God has been patient with you, Beacon, as a believer, um, to no, well, uh, when you were un, an unbeliever, to lead you to repentant faith, um, then God will be patient still when you, um, as his beloved children, when you and I still wobble, stumble, and, and fall. And how eager are you to go to God in your discouragements and in your apathy sometimes and in your sins? You know, do you see God as an impatient God who is annoyed and at the threshold of anger by your repeated failings? Or do you know God? as full of compassion and mercy to hear your sorrows, your sufferings and your sins so that that you can freely bring them to him. Do you know God as one who is truly able and ready to satisfy you with his steadfast love? And do you believe that he can truly satisfy you with his love? Because God has shown patient love toward me, then I can show patient love toward others. So the second part of the message, how do you grow in patience? Cultivating and showing patience. And uh, the bullet points that I listed, um, they're not necessarily sequential steps to take, um, but something that should be constantly taking place in our lives. Um, first, identify when you become impatient. I say this because uh, we looked in our study of James, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. It says, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness. That word um, in the Greek uh, is also translated patience in other verses. Um, the word used as um, in our text in Galatians 5 uh, for the fruit of the Spirit, is it's a different word. Um, But between these two words, there's a lot of overlap, and sometimes they're used interchangeably. All right, so the testing of your faith produces patience or steadfastness. So you and I are not naturally a patient person. 
And even though some people might think we are, um, but it's because, um, you know, maybe we haven't been really provoked. And I'm sure you've heard someone share before. Um, I didn't think I was an angry person until this happened. Um, an example is uh, a friend of a friend who messages you, a healthcare worker, and this person voices complaints that you all are taking advantage of this COVID situation. Another example, um, an adopted baby boy, as he gets older, starts to physically hurt his older sister, who is your actual daughter. Um, and, and for these two people that I know, they, they said, me, said the same thing. You know, I didn't think I was an angry person until this happened. And I think to some extent we can all relate. You know, you don't think you're an impatient person until somebody really annoys you. So patience doesn't come naturally. Um, it has to be cultivated. James says the various trials in your life, the testing of your faith produces patience. So if we're going to grow in patience, we have to identify when we become impatient. Uh, what is it to be impatient? Um, it's to be quick to anger. Proverbs 14, 29, it says, whoever is slow to anger or patient, it has great understanding. Uh, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So to be impatient is to have a hasty temper, to be um, quick to anger. Uh, if Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, and this is what it says, the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. So when you're quick to anger, you're also proud in spirit. You know, how so? How are you proud in spirit? Well, it's because somebody has crossed your will. You know, somebody has um, crossed your will that has become supreme and godlike. You know, you don't deserve this treatment, so you must respond in vengeance. And it could be true that somebody has wronged you. But what's the difference between somebody who's slow to anger and somebody who's quick to anger. It's that the person who's quick to anger is quick to take matters into his own, own hands. You know, quick to be the judge, quick to execute punishment, quick to assume motives, and slow to give the benefit of the doubt, slow to understand. I mean, you're, you're not omniscient. Do you know with absolute certainty all the motives of another person's heart and all the factors that went into why that person said that mean thing or did that mean thing. You know, you, you might be very perceptive and, and you might, um, even though you don't know exhaustively, you can probably guess pretty accurately why, you know, the other person did what he did. But even if you did know everything about somebody who just wronged you, we saw earlier that God, who is omniscient and knows the depths of the sinner's heart. He knows everything, and yet he was not quick to execute judgment. Even though, technic even though he, unlike us, has, has the right to execute that judgment. So when are those times when you are tempted to be impatient and quick to anger? Is it when you're talking to someone who can um, sometimes be a bit controlling and demanding? Is it when you're trying to reach someone who consistently flakes on you, 
or doesn't respond to your texts or doesn't seem to want to return your love? Is it when someone you care about and trust has disappointed you and didn't meet your expectations, which are good and right expectations, but just failed to meet them? Is it when you're misunderstood, not by those who don't really know you, but misunderstood by those who are your good friends? Do you get impatient when you're longing for something good, like a relationship or an internship or a job, and it's just not happening? How do we grow in patience? Number two, you gotta get down to the level of motives. Um, you can't just identify when you're most tempted to impatience. You got to take it a step further. Uh, you might have read Good and Angry by David Pallison. Um, he encourages you with these eight questions to dismantle your anger, to take your anger apart so that you can figure out what's going on in your heart when you get impatient. So you can take a look at those eight questions They're on your notes. I won't go through each of them, but I do want to point out the third one. And that's basically asking the question, why? You know, so he asks, what are my motives? And, and that's what I think we all should strive to get down to. You know, what are my motives? Why did I feel impatience in, in that situation? You know, let's say that something happened between you and um, a friend, and you felt in your heart um, impatient towards this person. So somebody else asks you, you know, why were you impatient? Well, because, you know, so-and-so was taking too long or so-and-so did this to me or said this to me. So that's partly true, um, but it's only dealing with the circumstances, right? It's not dealing with your heart at the level of motives. You know, it could very well be that, you know, your friend sinned against you by what he said or by uh, what she said. Um, but why did you respond the way you did? Why did you respond to evil with evil? with the evil of your impatience? You know, is it because you desired something good that you didn't get, and so you got a little caught up in what you wanted and failed to count the other person more important than yourself? Um, yeah, I wanna give an example of impatience in my own life. Uh, this is with my mom. So um, I, I think I shared before that uh, I moved back home um, about a year ago. and. Um, yeah, when I need to get somewhere at a certain time, let's say like 1 p.m., um, and I know that's, it's going to take maybe 10 minutes to get there. So, um, you know, I try to leave maybe around 12.47. Sometimes it ends up being 12.50. <clears throat> so I leave my room. I go into the living room. I'm trying to get out of the house. And, and my mom, you know, when she's at home, she's usually in the living, living room um, on the desktop. And uh, I'm about to leave my house. Um, but she wants to tell me something. Um, and, you know, as I head out the door, you know, I tell her, hey, this is what I'm gonna do. Um, and I wish it could just, you know, just be that. But, but usually she wants to carry on a conversation. Um, she usually wants to, you know, ask me more. Um, and so for maybe the first 30 seconds, it's okay. Like, you know, <laughs> like, sure. But then I start to feel impatient because I think she knows that I need to get going as well. Um, and so I let her know, mom, you know, I should get going, see you later. Um, and, and then I think to myself, you know, man, why does she always do that? <laughs> like, I, and then I turn inward um, 
why don't I always just try to leave a little bit earlier knowing that my mom wants to talk to me? You know, why am I so impatient and bothered? Um, why am I impatient? You know, for me, um, it could be different for you, uh, but I think it's in that case, it's because I value punctuality, you know, maybe a little bit too much. Um, and, I, and I try not to be late, I think like most of us. And, uh, you know, I appreciate it when others are on time as well. Um, or, you know, if they're going to be late, they let me know. So it's, that's good. I think that's what we should do. Um, but I realized that, you know, I, I don't want to be known as the guy who's always a few minutes late. Um, and, I, and I think that's a good thing to want to be known as punctual. But the motive behind that is I'm not willing to patiently love my mom and show her that I care by talking with her for a few minutes. And I could just easily text my friend, hey, sorry, I'm going to be a little bit late, you know, and trust that my friend will understand. So I am more concerned about my reputation of not being late, you know, and it's, it's become more about loving me than about counting my mother more important than myself and, and loving her in a very tangible way, like talking with her for a few minutes, you know, before I leave the house. So I'm getting real and very practical with you. Um, and that's an example of God growing me in, in patience. Uh, so number three um, on how we can grow in patience, uh, confess to God and remember his patient love. You know, what, what do you do when you start feeling impatient? You know, maybe in the heat of the moment, um, you start to get angry at yourself. Um, you know, kind of like what I just shared, you know, man, why am, I, why am I feeling so impatient? Why am I always like this? Uh, or maybe you start to become cynical. Oh, man, like, I'm never going to change. Um, or maybe you, you, you come to a point where you, you just don't care anymore. You know, you know, you know you're always going to be impatient in this way. You just don't care. Or maybe um, you distract yourself so that you don't have to think about it and you occupy your mind with good things without dealing with that impatience, even though it's bothering you and you just choose not to deal with it. But Beacon, if you do that, if you don't deal with it and if you just move on without um, dealing with the patterns of impatience in your life, then you lose an opportunity to expose the idols of your heart. And those idols are robbing you of your joy and peace. But confessing to the Lord invites the grace of God. It invites the grace of God because you're humbling yourself and showing that you need him. And I agree that with something like impatience, um, it can be easy for us to minimize it and to disregard it because it can be fleeting right? It's, it's a feeling that, that comes and goes, and we can quickly move on. Um, but when you don't deal with the impatience in your heart, then next time you come across another similar situation, another similar circumstance, then you're going to be impatient again because you, you haven't really dealt with it in your heart. When you examine those patterns of uh, seemingly insignificant feelings of impatience, you know, it, it can expose, it can help expose the idols in your heart. And self-discovery, um, knowing your heart better, is a big step toward growth. And it takes hard work. It takes intentionality. It takes time. But when you do take the time to ask the why questions, 
and uh, maybe even have a trusted brother or sister help you think it through at the level of your motives, then you can actually grow and you can confess to God. You can, you can turn to the Lord. Um, and here's the second part of the third point. Um, turn to the Lord and, and doing that enables you to remember his patient love for you. When you confess to God, you remember his patient love for you. Um, and yeah, you're familiar with the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. Do you recall um, what the first servant said to his master? He said, have patience with me. And that patience uh, is, is actually the same word uh, for the fruit of the spirit. And, and what did the second servant say to the first servant? Same exact words, have patience with me. And what happened? How come the first servant refused to be patient with the second servant? It's because the first servant knew in his head that the master had forgiven him of infinite debt, but it didn't affect his heart. He knew it in his head, but it did not move him in his heart. How else are we, you and I, how else are we going to be patient with others who wrong us if we're not moved by God's forgiveness of our infinite debt? And how else are we going to be moved in our hearts by God's lavish love for us if we're not remembering and meditating day after day of God's patient love towards us? When you remember um, how much patience God has shown us, then we can move towards um, constructively in, in dealing with um, the, the circumstantial, uh, whatever that caused um, you know, anger in the first place. Um, I want to give another a story of impatience in my own life, um, this time with my dad, um, you know, both my parents. Um, and I share these stories because uh, I think you guys as college students can relate, you know, being pa patient with your parents. Um, and even if you weren't a college age student, you know, being in our homes right now, like, yeah, it's, it's with those people in our homes. Um, so I, I uh, won't get into specifics because of, um, you know, the nature of my relationship with my dad. Um, but, you know, I was feeling impatient because of how he would talk to me. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, I wish it was more like this. Um, but at some point I realized, overcome evil with good, overcome evil with good. And I confessed to the Lord, you know, the bitterness in, in my heart. Um, and, and I prayed, I prayed that God helped me to show Christ-like love to him. And the Lord was gracious to answer. And, and over time, um, you know, my attitude was different. I was more joyful and willing to help when he would, when he would ask me to do stuff. <laughs> and the, the, the grace of God is that I noticed uh, that his disposition toward me changed. Um, he became warmer to me than before. And uh, yeah, it's just a testimony of when, when we confess to God and turn to him, um, he answers. He graciously works patience in us. And I want to encourage you guys with that. Um, number four, assess whether the offense is something to pass over or bring up. Um, 
So what, one of the interns, pastoral interns at Lighthouse, Alan Sai, he's working with uh, Praxis, the young adult group. Um, he gave a devotional recently, and maybe you've heard it. And if you haven't, I encourage you maybe you know, to, to listen to it. It's, it's really good. Um, he basically deals with this question. How do you assess whether the offense, the wrong done, is, is something to pass over or bring up? And Alan gives us these two helpful questions. They're in your notes. Is this offense intentional? or incidental? Is this something habitual in their lives or is it an odd occurrence? Um, so given that it's you know, incidental and uh, it's, it's an odd occurrence and you wanna give the benefit of the doubt, um, Proverbs 9, 19, 11 um, really helps us in this regard. It says, good sense makes one patient. Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Keyword being overlook and offense. And, and the word for overlook isn't used in the sense of, um, you know, ignore the offense as if, you know, it never happened. Um, but it's used in the sense of you, you pass over it. You know, you don't make a big deal out of it. You know, you don't dwell on it so that bitterness festers in you or annoyance boils up. You forgive the person um, and you promise in your heart not to bring up what's been cast into the depths of the sea. And you promise not to use that offense as an accusation against that person. Um, that's forgiveness. Uh, that's Mark 11, verses 25. Um, it says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who's in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So, um, you know, there aren't multiple people involved in this context it says when whenever you stand praying forgive if you have anything against anyone so that's taking place just you in your heart and david pallison calls this attitudinal forgiveness attitudinal forgiveness and it's the posture of your heart you know it's something that happens within you but there are times when you need to bring up the offense um, and in those cases then there should be uh, transactional forgiveness. And, and this is transaction in the sense of um, Luke chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus says, If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he repents, forgive him. Um, so, so there's a transaction. You only forgive if this person repents. Um, you actually extend that forgiveness to him so that the relationship can move towards reconciliation. That's transactional um, forgiveness. And just to be clear, it shouldn't be confused with, you know, sometimes we hear the phrase transactional love, um, and that's, that's a bad kind of love. You know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, that kind of a thing. Um, transactional forgiveness is, is different. Um, it's just a way of saying that, you know, the person in the wrong needs to repent um, in order for there to be um, the kind of forgiveness that actually brings two people back together uh, when, when sin has damaged that relationship. So, um, you know, if, if the other person doesn't repent, that doesn't mean, oh man, this person, you know, isn't sorry, isn't repentant, so I don't have to forgive. That's not what it means because that's attitudinal forgiveness. We still have to, you know, forgive uh, the person in our heart. Um, and, and that's why we also talk so much about God's patience and his merciful disposition. You know, if somebody wrongs you and isn't repentant, you don't let bitterness 
fester. You know, um, you're, you're ready and you're eager to extend forgiveness to the person. Okay. Um, so, yeah, what, what if, you know, this offense is something that you feel like you need to bring up, which leads to our next point. Number five is move toward constructive conflict. Move toward constructive conflict. I mean, this is probably the hardest, you know, on this list because um, who wants to move toward conflict, you know? Um, but this is what God does with us, right? I mean, he moved toward us in our sin. I um, mean, it's, it's probably the hardest because it involves relationships now. You know, if you look at all the other points, that could happen just to you, you know? But this one, um, it involves people, and we know that relationships can be messy. Um, yeah, and, and we saw earlier that God is both patient and wrathful. You know, he's both slow to anger, and he expresses anger. So how can we be both patient and yet express anger in the right way? Um, yeah, and I'll only touch on anger very briefly because it's related to patience. Um, and maybe, you know, that's for another sermon on anger. But the passage that comes to mind for this section is um, Romans 12. And uh, verse 17 says, repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil. Whatever perceived wrong it is, you know, don't return it with a cold shoulder. You know, when somebody has mistreated you or somebody didn't meet your expectations, we should remember that we never met God's expectations to be perfect and holy. And yet he's, he's been so abundantly patient and merciful to us. In Romans 12 verse 21, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do we do that? I mean, that's why we, we keep turning to the Lord's love. Um, because otherwise we can grow cynical and just have a, you know, I just don't care attitude. Um, yeah. You, you cannot keep giving and doing good and love unless you abide daily in the infinite depths of God's love for you. So how do we bring up an offense, um, a wrong done that, that either we see or a, a wrong done to us in, in that we think we should bring up. We bring it up with a desire to do the utmost good, you know, to do the highest good to the other person. And we do it with gentleness and humility, seeking to listen and not assuming we know everything, but seeking to understand being quick to forgive. And uh, if, if there is, and it must be righteous anger. Proverbs 16, verse 32, it says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. He who rules his spirit. Um, our anger must be like God's anger, which is controlled and rational. And, and it's only after, you know, patience. Um, God's anger is not out of control and explosive. <laughs> Um, not explosive after every minor infraction. And that should be our anger as well. You know, it must be done always with a merciful disposition, eagerly seeking to forgive if there's repentance. 
So whether we pass over or bring up, you know, both actions require patience. You, you need to be patient when you bear with another brother in love. You, being patient when you decide to pass over, and you need to be patient when you decide to bring up um, the the offense. And, and this principle of patience is given in First Thessalonians five fourteen. We urge you, brothers, um, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. What does it say? Be patient with them all. So no matter who you're dealing with and no matter the situation, um, you know, sometimes you, you have to bring it up and admonish the idol. And sometimes you just pass over it. Um, but Paul says, be patient with them all. All right, last, uh, be constant in gratitude. And I was doing my, doing my best to come up with like a good way to say this. Um, but I, I don't want to assume it and I don't want it to be assumed for you. Like we, we must, we must watch our hearts. And if, if there is ingratitude, if there is a, a, a pattern of, of not giving thanks to God, um, then that's only giving room for impatience to grow. And so I close with what Paul said about himself. Um, you know, we, we have become Christians and we follow Christ, but we never move on um, from the patience that God has shown us. Um, God being patient to bring us to repentance, but also even now as we stumble and fall. First Timothy 1, 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Yeah, let me pray for us. Father, we rejoice in Christ and we recall what he said, what your son said to Paul on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why, why do you persecute me? God, um, and Father, we remember our, our many sins. It is ultimately a personal offense against you. And yet you have, you have been unbelievably patient and we don't know um, at all, Lord. We know truly, but we don't know as we should your, your great and long suffering towards us. And even, even now as your beloved children, you are patient with us and, and patient to bring us to full maturity. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you, you don't give up on us, but you will complete the work that you've started in us. Help us, Lord, because you are patient in love toward us, that we will be patient in love towards others. In your son's precious name, amen.